Man, we do have a great Savior. And that's a real comfort because we got a pretty formidable enemy. And I'm going to preach to you a little bit tonight if the Lord will help me on the thief that wants to steal your treasure. Go with me, if you would, please, in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 22. I'm going to try to just get right with it, if that's all right. I want to get out of the way for the next preacher. But I do believe the Lord's put something on my heart. And I want to say this to you before I get going here. I believe, appreciate very much and agree with what Brother Peacock said this morning about God can use you more when you're tender than he can when you're tough. I really believe that. And I will tell you this, the process of becoming tender is horrible. And as you go through that process, there's going to be opportunities to get out. The devil's going to make sure he gets on you and puts some pressure on you to keep you from completing what it is God wants you to complete. So tonight, I I hope and pray that the Lord will give me the liberty to preach a little bit, but I want to say that I'm not preaching this message from a hard heart. I really don't believe I am. I want to help at least one person tonight. That would be so amazing if God just helped one person. If something I say tonight doesn't even apply to you now, but God sticks it in your head and in your heart, and 20 or 30 years from now, it pops up, that's worth it right there. It would be even better if God helped everybody in the room. Wouldn't that be amazing? And it'd take God to do that. Luke chapter 22, verse number 1, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscarius, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. You see, he hates your friend. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. I got two notes in my Bible Right here in verses 5 and 6. One says this is a promise that should have been broken. Judas made a promise, right? That's a promise he should have broken. Because two wrongs don't make a right. Well, I shouldn't break my word. Yeah, you should. If you made a promise to the wrong person, you should break your word. I promised my friend I wouldn't tell. You shouldn't have promised him that. So add to the injury and keep your promise, right? Wrong. Number two, another note I have here is what good is the promise of a betrayer? Judas is a betrayer and he makes a promise. I'm just telling you, some of your friends will say, I promise I won't tell. I promise I won't say, don't tell, I promise I won't tell. What good's the promise of a betrayer? Oh, we're friends. So what? But that's not the message. Verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread where the Passover must be killed. He sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entered in. And ye shall say unto the good men of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished there make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. 
And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to help me tonight. Lord, I, I need you. And I know I need you. Tonight I want to please you. I want to give you something, God, that will make you happy. Put a smile on your face. And I am longing for you to make me a blessing. I just want to be a vessel, Lord. I want to be a channel. I want to be a tool in your hand. So that you, the Savior, the, the bridegroom, can give your bride, these folks that have trusted you as their Savior, a gift that will help them out in their life. God, if you'll do that with me, I'll know it's you. I'll give you the glory and honor tonight. Help somebody, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What an amazing scene when I think about it in my mind. I don't just read my Bible and just kind of skim through it. I try to read my Bible and slow down and imagine what it would be like to be there. What an awesome privilege it would have been to have been in that room with the Lord Jesus Christ at that time. I mean, we're pretty hard on Peter and James and John and all the rest of that and all the disciples betraying the Lord, but... How cool would it be to have been somebody who had went through all Jesus Christ had went through in his earthly ministry, had walked with him, had, had felt the betrayal and the mockery of the, and, 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 the, and the ostracization that came with associating with Jesus Christ. There's a sacrifice there that they had made. And now it comes down to this extremely crucial moment, literally the darkest moment in all the life of Jesus Christ is about to come on him. I said the darkest moment in all the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the Bible says in him was life and the life was the light of men. We're talking about the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, which was, is, and into to come, the Almighty. That means the darkest moment in all of eternity is settling in on Jesus Christ. And there's very few people that get to be there with him. What a privilege. You know when I hear Brother Peacock talk about the old preacher, talk about Dr. Ruckman, it does something in me. I sit there and I imagine, I, I used to hear him preach about the meetings with uh, Carl Lackey up in North Carolina, and I'd hear the stories, and it'd do something in me, and I'd sit there and think, man, I, I wish I could have been there. I don't know if you ever feel that way or not, but I do. And then the Lord shows me, he says, wait a second, what have I given you? You know, we got something going pretty good here. God's allowed us, I mean, we might not have that moment. We might not have some of the old war stories and, and some of that, oh, it'd be so great. But look at what God is doing for us. Look at what a blessing it is to be here this week. It's exciting to watch this thing grow. I wasn't here when there was just 25 people. The sacrifice that has gone into this and, and, and all that's going on in the background, what God's doing and allowing us to have Brother Peacock. And listen, some of you might not realize it, but two of my idols are in this room. And I'm supposed to have an idol. Don't nitpick me, okay? I'm not going to explain everything I say because I don't want to preach for two hours, all right? Do I have to qualify everything all the time? No. Or do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, come on. Come on. Two of my idols are in this room. Brother Peacock's one of them. You know what the other one is? Pastor Elliot. You know, he's behind the scenes running this thing, and God's using that man to facilitate what's going on this week. And you know, you got a treasure here that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's so easy not to recognize what God's doing in your life. You're coming from Bible-believing churches. Listen, it's a dark day in the history of this nation. 
It's a dark day in the text that we're looking at. But in the dark days, God is not done and the story is not written and it is not over. God still wants to do something. God still wants to work. God still wants to bless. And that excites me. But I'm telling you, the devil's not okay with it. He is going to do what he can to keep you from enjoying what it is God has for you and getting in on the treasure of what God's trying to do in your life. He wants to take that away from you. And it's interesting to me that here the Lord Jesus Christ is doing something so great and you don't go three verses into this thing and the name of Satan enters in in verse number three then Satan entered into Judas, surnamed Iscariot. You know what the devil's wanting to do when the Lord starts moving? The devil starts moving. You look at what's going on in the world around you. You folks realize it's an absolute wreck? You know... Back in the 70s and 80s, I was born in 77, so I I would listen to the tapes from back in the 70s, but I can remember preaching as early as the 80s and 90s. You know what they used to preach against all the time? They used to preach against the hippie movement. They used to preach against the way the family's breaking up and the family structure. And you know what the preachers were saying? They were saying, listen, this nation's headed for disaster. The judgment of God is coming. The judgment of God is coming. This thing's going to come apart. Hey, listen, some of those guys, if they're in their graves now, would roll over in their grave if they could see what it is you're dealing with. If they knew some of the images that the preacher was preaching about last night and this morning that some of you already have in your mind that you ought to live your entire life and never see one time you already got it in your head. You know what happened? Satan's entered in among them. And he's messing with your minds. And it's going to get worse. I'm not trying to be the prophet of doom or depress anybody. It's going to get worse. You know, in my generation, they said less than 2% of the population was queer. You know what I don't think is funny? I don't think it's funny when guys joke around like they're faggots. I proved that the senior year of my high school, and I'll spare you the details. All I can remember is what I was doing and a couple of girls screaming, Oh, my blank! Oh, my blank! He's going to kill him! He's going to kill him! And that was... It ain't funny. Yeah. Yeah. Fools make a mock at sin. Yeah. Yeah. And back in when I was a kid, it was like, Hey, man, that ain't funny. Yeah. You're a weirdo if you joke like that. You think that's funny? And nowadays, Christian guys act like that. And find humor in it. You know this world's messed up? You know what they said about your generation? They said 40% of your generation claims to be homosexual. 40%. Now you give it 10, 15, 20 years till your generation's done raising kids. You know what that's called? It's called the days of Noah. It's called Sodom and Gomorrah. And it is coming. Hey, listen, it wasn't long ago that people thought preachers were exaggerating with what they were saying. But what they're saying is coming true because they were genuine prophets of God. And they were trying to tell us. And nobody's listening. It's getting dark. I trained with some police officers. I don't have any stories like that, nor would I even try. But I saw the picture. One of the guys I've trained with showed me a picture. He said, you wouldn't believe this poor woman. I said, really? He said, we dealt with this girl a lot, and she's hooked up with some meth head. 
And she said, the, he said, the guy's an idiot, man. He said, we've had to deal with him constantly. He said, look at this. He showed me a picture of the side of her face. He bit her face off. I'm talking, I, 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 I know how to look at a piece of food and know how much it weighs. When I look at the side of her face, I was thinking of probably one and a half to two ounces. And they said we couldn't find it because he swallowed it. You know what happened when the police got there? She said, no, no, let him go, let him go, leave him alone. I, I'm telling you, the loss of natural affection that you heard about last night, it's getting nasty out there. You say, what are you trying to do? I'm not trying to, I, trust me, and, and I think he knows this. I ain't trying to compete with that. I can't. I'm backing him up. I'm telling you, that's not just an old man exaggerating everything and trying to work on our emotions. That is reality right now. And I am telling you, what we have here is a treasure. You know how wonderful it is to have a clean environment to come to? You know how great it is to have some truth in the preaching of the Word of God? You know what a privilege it is to be able to say someday, he keeps talking about being put in a box and we're praying that's a long way away, amen? You know what a blessing it's going to be someday to tell your kids? We remember when Brother Peacock preached a message on sin and he was telling stories because he used to be a police officer. And you got a treasure here. You got something valuable here. And I believe with all my heart, as bad as it's getting, that God is not done yet. I do not think by any stretch of the imagination that it's, that it's over. Listen, souls are still getting saved, and I'm grateful for that. The Bible's still being preached, and I'm grateful for that. I believe God is still calling young men to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's a great thing. I'm excited about it. I'm not depressed about it, but I'm scared. I am honestly and genuinely concerned. Because I see what the devil's trying to do. In the text, I'm going to show you three things and then I'm going to get out of the way so the preacher can come. But one of the first things you're going to notice that Lucifer will do when he's trying to steal the great thing that you have, he's trying to take you away from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's trying to bust up this assembly that is here and he's, he's discontent with the Lord. He doesn't like the Lord. He doesn't like what he's doing and he doesn't like you because you love the Lord. He doesn't want you to get a hold of the Lord. What he does is he comes in and he creates some disinterest in the words of God. Did you hear what I said? See, when you're thinking about the devil, you think about something big and something crazy, you know, fornication and homosexuality, and drugs and alcohol and all the rest of that. Some of you, yeah, the vast majority of who's in this room, he's got something a lot better for you. He's more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He knows how to get at you. He knows everything about you. He knows your family. He knows your family history. There's, there's not that many personality types in the world. It ain't that hard for somebody that's been around since you before you were created to figure out humanity. Yeah. Not that hard. Yeah. He's subtle, man. I was witnessing to a guy this week, big old bodybuilder, muscle man. And we just got talking, and he started ranting and raving about what's going on in this world and how horrible the world is. And he started, I mean, he's a lost man. I could tell by his mouth. And he was just going crazy on this LGBTQ and all. He was as conservative as they come. Man, it was an am amazing how that thing went. Because I got to just start witnessing to him. I, I started quoting Bible to him. And then he was saying Jesus this and Jesus that. And kind of quoting Bible back at me a little bit. So somewhat familiar with the Bible. 
And, and I got, man, God opened up that door wide open. I got to just get, I gave him the entire plan of salvation in the course of a free-flowing conversation. Went phenomenally well. I was like, I was this close to saying, hey, listen, I'm a pastor. Love to have you to come to the church. And all of a sudden, that guy, while we're talking, all of a sudden, that guy went from, you know, I never thought of that. You know, that makes a lot of sense. And then he goes, you know what, man? The devil's real. We're having a normal conversation. He is a tough guy. You know, it was a man-to-man kind of a conversation, but it was very normal. I saw nothing crazy about him. And he went from normal to the devil's real. And then literally started going loony. He's telling me stories I'm not even going to repeat. I just got to, I was like, okay, man, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Glad I didn't tell him where my church is. <laughs> it was that scary. Literally, I mean, I literally, the Lord, I felt like the Lord said, wait. When I was about to say I'm a pastor, I felt like the Lord said, wait. And I waited, and I just gave him a second to start talking, and he started talking, and nuttiness came out of that man's mouth. Another guy was standing there, like, kind of started backing up when the guy finally walked, because I just sort of, like, with my body language and stuff, ended the conversation and kind of got him to walk away so that I could talk to the other guy. He looked at me and went, I said, sorry about that, man. He said, just so you know, I know you heard the first part of that. I'm not with all the rest of that. He's going crazy about Lucifer. Let me tell you something. The devil's real. And you see stuff like that. You know what you do when you see stuff like that, crazy stuff? Like, hey, man, I felt a burning in my esophagus, and I went to the sink, and I got a glass of water, and when I drank the water to get away with the burning, he said, I put my head back, said, ah! he said, black smoke came out of my mouth and filled the room, and I'm telling you, man, I was real. It's the devil's real. He's like yelling at me. You know what you do? You go, <sighs> Right? You were supposed to shake your head and say yes. That's what you do, right? You get out of there. He said, if the devil won't mess with me, because if the devil mess with me, I'm going to blankety-blank him, blankety-blank the devil out, blanket, and he knows it. And I, and I laughed. I said, okay, man, have a good day. Get out of here, tough guy. You know, the devil is so much more powerful than that. He's subtle. More subtle than any beast of the field. What he did is he came into this culture... And he slid into the hands of all the Christian girls a device that he's right. He's not just saying stuff that has reprogrammed your brain to where the Bible's not interesting anymore. To when you sit down to open up a book and try to discipline yourself to read your Bible, it ain't doing anything for you. Preacher can get up and preach his guts out. And he's saying, I hope I'm not boring you to death. But one, I, I believe the best preacher in the United States right now. You see what you got? Do you understand what you have? I hope I'm not boring you to death. Because, because you got the, it's, it's them witty devices. Got you disinterested in church, disinterested in your Bible. You know what we need right now? 
You know what we need right now? We need some people that love that book that's in your lap, some young men that'll fall in love with truth, some young ladies that'll fall in love with their Bible and get to where you're addicted to that book. You can't get through your morning. Your mind's messed up if you didn't get a chance to read your Bible. You need to be so obsessed with it that you at least pull out your phone to pull up your Bible app to get a couple of the words of God in your eyes. And I don't think that works like that old-fashioned paper and ink. But we need some people obsessed with the word of God. And the devil wants you disinterested in it. He wants you to think it's boring. Nothing about the Bible is boring. Jesus Christ is over here in this passage in verse 7 and on. He starts telling these guys. He sends Peter in verse number 8 and John saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. They say unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? I want to show you the power of this book. He said unto them, Behold, when you enter into the city, there shall meet you a man. There shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entered. And ye shall say unto the good man, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished, there make ready. You say, well, how, what's that got to do with the power of the Bible? You know what was the word made flesh and dwelt among us? That is telling them and forecasting to them. When you enter into the city, you're going to run into a guy. When you run into the guy, say this. And that guy lives there and this is where you can go. And this is what's going to happen. What you're going to find out. How do you even know how the guy was going to react? You know what that Bible was doing? That Bible wasn't just reading them. That Bible was reading everything ahead of them. The word of God was reading everything ahead of them. And forecasting what was coming. You know what that Bible does to you? That Bible reads you. You know what that Bible does? That Bible forecasts it. You know why the preachers back in the old days that everybody thought was just taking it too far and being too crazy and you know, all they're doing is preaching pants and pork and okay, you can criticize them all you want, make fun of them all you want, but some of those old guys that were preaching some of that stuff, what they were trying to do is they were trying to fight against the culture of their day because the direction they knew it was headed. You can throw the baby out with the bathwater if you want, but I don't think they were the devil just because they might have got a little carried away about a thing or two. I'm thankful for some men that love the Bible enough and had the Bible in them enough to say, hey, listen, this is the direction this is going. The book said it's gonna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now everybody's like, oh, what are we gonna do? I know what I'm gonna do. I don't know what you're gonna do, but with God's help, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna fall more in love with that Bible. I'm more interested in my Bible today than I was when I got saved almost 40 years ago. The devil wants you disinterested in that book. But that Bible's reading you. We had a lady uh, uh, visit our church on Wednesday night, I think a Wednesday night or two ago. Family joined our church. It wasn't, it wasn't long ago, maybe six months now, uh, maybe a little more than that. But man, the, the lady, Miss Chrissy, she's been bringing a whole bunch of people, lost people, people she's known since she was a kid, and I think she's in her early 40s now. Man, they're doing a great job of witnessing. They've been a huge encouragement to us. She brought a friend of hers into church. She got there, and, and she didn't know before she picked her friend up, but when her friend got in the car, she said, oh, no, she's been drinking. So she's, like, panicking. She doesn't know what to do. She brings this lady's lost. She brings her in. They sit down. I get, I get just a little bit into the message. And the lady, I heard her. She looks over at Chrissy, and she goes, he's yelling at me. And Chrissy's like, trying to pretend like nothing's going on, you know. The lady finally takes her Bible because somebody had shared a Bible with her. She takes her Bible and she waits till I look at her and she goes. 
I'm, try, I'm trying so hard not to die laughing. I'm looking the other way trying to distract myself. And I'm like, that just happened. Yeah, that did. She gets up about halfway through the message, can't take it anymore. She stomps out the door and she don't come back in. Poor Miss Chrissy. She's almost in tears. She's going to Miss Grace. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We're like, we love this. Keep it up. That's great, man. I don't want boring church. You understand what I'm saying? I like seeing the power of the word of God just start moving and working and agitating that lost sinner and bothering that lost sinner. She's, I, like, I like him to feel like he's yelling at me. She gets in the car later with Chrissy and she says, man, he was yelling at me. I mean, the guy was yelling at me. She said, how, how do you guys put up with that? She said, we get used to it. She said, you know what? Maybe he's not yelling at you. Maybe that's what we call conviction. She sent her friend another message that she listened to and sent it to, texted it to her. And her friend said, I felt like he was yelling at me again. And she said, that's called conviction. When they got in the car after the service, her friend and her were kind of going back and forth because some of the stuff that I had said while I was preaching, they had talked about in the car on the way to church. They walk in, they sit down, and she says, you were telling that preacher all about me. Why did you do that? And she said, I did not have time to do that. When did I even have time to do that? She's like, oh, yeah, you didn't. <laughs> she came over to the house. Was it at the, I don't know if it was at the open house. I think it was at the open house, and she was telling me about it. She said, I've been sending her messages, and I texted her the sinner's prayer, and I gave her a gospel track. And they got home from Anna's open house last Saturday, and they called me, and she's, her husband called me, uh, BJ, and he said, hey, preacher. I said, yeah, what's up? He said, Chrissy's friend just texted her out of the blue and said, I said that prayer you sent me. I didn't just say it, but I said it, and I meant it from my heart. And she said, I'm going to church in the morning. She's up in her 40s. Long, hard life. You know what that is? That's the power of an interesting book that makes you feel like, did you see how he looked at me when he said that? Yeah, right. We're that smart. And preachers are that bored that all we do is troll everybody's Facebook pages so we know everything there is to know about your life and we target you every time you come to church. That was personal. No, that's the power of a book that's super interesting. That thing can read me and God manifests his word through preaching and then you look at the preacher and he looks at you and you start squirming. Something's reading you, man. That's an interesting book and the devil don't want you interested in it. He doesn't want any of you young men falling in love with that Bible. He wants you hooked on that device in your hand and all the rest of the junk in this world and he wants you hooked on it bad. We had a story today about a woman who picked up a dollar bill at a, at a McDonald's and almost died. A dollar bill, so the, the uh, fentanyl in it, right? Is it picking the right one? Yeah. You know, nowadays they're ordering on their phones, on an app, you can order your Percocet. And they're, they're getting a little pill that looks just like a Percocet pill. They're popping it and they're dying because it's almost pure fentanyl. Touching the stuff is so poisonous it'll kill you. And you think partying's interesting. You're an idiot. You're, you're dumber than you look, man. I'm not saying you look dumb, but you, well, yeah, if that's the way you think you do. Oh, we just miss out on so much being Christians. No, you don't. No, you don't. 
You got an interesting book in your lap and you ain't familiarized yourself enough with it to know how powerful it is, but it's reading you. I like a book like that. I'm addicted to it. I got myself addicted to it. With God's help, I want to stay addicted to it. It's a perfect book. Look at verse number 14. When the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat any, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. What do you see in that, preacher? I see him giving his body and his blood. You realize he's the word, right? You can't say you love the Lord Jesus Christ and not love the Bible. You can't say, I want to love the Lord more and not read your Bible. If you want to love the Lord more, you better fall in love with your Bible. Because as you fall in love with your Bible, you'll learn a little bit about the Lord. His body was broken for you. How do you know about his perfect body? How do you know about his perfect blood? How are you going to get closer to him? How are you going to get the comfort and help you need? How are you going to pick a spouse? How are you going to know any of that stuff? How are you going to make it? If you don't love the Bible, you won't make it. So if the Bible bores you, something's wrong with you. One of the greatest things about camp is getting here and shutting off your phones. He's right. Yes, they're trying to brainwash us. You got it. Because your brain needs some washing. I'm not harping on you, okay? You can accidentally stumble across stuff that you should live your entire life and never see. I am not an old man, but when I was a kid, we had to go out of our way extensively to try to dig up stuff you guys fall across, stumble across accidentally. It ain't an accident. It's demonic. And something happens in your mind and in your body when you see something you shouldn't see. There is a physiological, not just a mental and psychological, there's a physiological response that's addictive like a drug. And then you open up an old black book. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and sweated the orbit back of the falling to the ground. Oh, my friend texted me. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why nowadays young people that are supposed to love the Bible are messing around with everything there is under the sun. Can't imagine how young people growing up in church think that they might be homosexual. It's demonic. That's a perfect book. You know what I want to be? I want to be the best Christian the Lord can have me to be. You know what I want? I want God's help. I want to fall more in love with my Bible. It's a pure book. Look at verse 19. He took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them. When the Lord gives you something to put in you, it's something that's pure. It's something that's perfect. It's something that will help you. He says, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. It's perfect. Can I tell you something? Now, you listen to me. I, don't, I want you to listen to me. You will not be happy fooling around with sin. You do whatever the heck you want to do. It's a free country. 
I hope your parents got rules and bust you up when you mess up. I really do, because they love you. Yeah, yeah. My parents put restrictions on my phone. Good for them. You got a good parent. You're a brat if that makes you mad. You're a brat. Don't they know I'm 16 years old? Yeah, they do. That's why you have restrictions. My friends don't. Your friends, you don't have very good, your parents don't have very good parents. You know, God wants to put in you something pure. Something that'll wash you clean. Something that'll help you out. Something that'll give you a happy life. Hey, listen, something that'll bring some joy to your soul and some purpose to your life. Hey, the word of God is pure. You ought to get interested in it. But there's something else in the passage. When the devil sees you fall in love with the Bible and you like good preaching and you're, you're tuned into that stuff and you're getting in your car and you're putting on the right music or you're putting on some preaching on your way to work and he sees that God's getting a hold of you, he says, all right, if that's not working... I got something else for them. It's old school. You've heard it before. I'll divide and conquer. I want to be careful about this one. I'm praying while I'm right here right now because I don't want to say something wrong, but I want to, I think I'm supposed to say something because it's for somebody in the room. I don't think everybody in this room comes from a real good Christian home. Probably most of you, but some probably don't. And it's hard. If you got a good Christian home, I don't think you understand what kind of a treasure you got. I don't think you understand. I really don't. Not trying to be belittling or mean, but I don't think you get it. It's a treasure to have a mama and daddy that love each other. They ain't perfect. You get old enough to where you can see their flaws and start picking them apart. Because you're being a tool of the devil. Yeah. Yeah. I'm against kids looking at their parents' divorce as though it's their fault. And I know that happens. That's why I want to be careful. But I've also seen on the flip side of that, as kids start getting older, they start coming between mama and daddy. You do it naturally when you're little because you figure out who's going to say yes and who's not, and you learn how to pit them against each other, right? To get what you, that's natural when you're little. By the time you're your age, you ought to know better. You know, your parents are going through things you don't even understand yet, and your turn's coming. It's crazy being a teenager and going through that time of life. It's not easy. It is not, I know it's not easy. I never used to be too excited about preaching to teenagers until God gave me a few of my own. And then it's like, oh, I kind of get it now. It's tough, man. I have tremendous respect for young people who will act like they love the Lord and try to do right. Tremendous respect. And I don't give a hoot and heck for a little punk who thinks they know more than they really do. Well, my parents this, my parents that. And you go start working mama against daddy and daddy against mama. Some of you boys will manipulate your moms because you'll make it look like dad's such a bad guy and he's such a jerk and he's such an idiot. And you, get, you look at mom and you do the whole thing with your eyes and she starts to melt. And then you look at dad and you, th those eyes change from there to there. And then dad's like, uh-huh. And mom's like, oh, you really? And you're working that system. 
You know what you're doing? You're playing into the hands of the devil when you pitch your parents against each other. You know what some of you older siblings are doing when you influence your little siblings to get into the mess you're into? If you want to wreck your life, have at it. Why would you try to hurt your younger siblings or some of these younger kids in your youth group? I'm, I'm serious. I'm going to say something serious right now. I ain't playing. I'll kick them straight out of youth group. I don't care who their mama and daddy is if they're trying to corrupt the younger kids in youth group. I don't care who their cotton-picking mom and dad is. We're not offering our children as sacrificial lambs to the devil in order to patronize somebody to keep them in church. Why would you want to be a tool of the devil to betray and divide and conquer and hurt other people? You might mess around and get away with it. You want to be responsible for watching your little brother or your little sister sit in rehab? You want to be responsible for looking at that picture and that's your little sister's face who got bit off? Because you flirted around and messed around and then you led her astray? Telling you a tool of the devil, he'll divide and conquer. You know what he does to churches? He tries to divide them and conquer them. He'll get you all upset with your youth director or with your, your pastor or somebody else and start working youth groups. Youth groups start causing tr- problems. Why? Because they're not infatuated with the Word of God, not in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. They're getting disinterested in that Bible, and he'll start trying to stir you up. And I am telling you, when a betrayer comes into the assembly and begins to work against what God's trying to do, it causes a tremendous amount of damage. Look at verse number 21. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth is with me on the table. You know what the Lord knew? He knew a devil was sitting in there with him. You know what the Lord knows? He knows if there's some devils in here. And you know why God leaves them, even though some of you are like, man, I love the Lord and I'm wanting to do right, and I come to youth camp, and I'm thinking at youth camp everything is going to go perfect, and then there's, there's people around at youth camp that are trying to be a bad influence? I thought I was going to escape that when I came here. I get that in public school. I get that when I go home. Why is that happening here? Because the Lord's watching to me see what decision you're going to make. There's betrayer among them. You know, that's hurtful. Verse 22 says, And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them should do, what it was that should do this thing. He's saying, hey, listen, somebody's sitting with me at the table. It's going to betray me. Do you know what is heartbreaking? When somebody that loves Jesus Christ, or you think loves Jesus Christ, betrays you know what the devil will use to steal some of your treasure because you got a treasure if you got a bible sitting in your lap at this age and you got good preachers that are trying to preach to you you got a treasure you have got some building blocks that will change your future for good and the devil don't want to watch it happen he wants to mess it up do you understand me this thing is real and it's getting intense because we're getting close to a very dark time called the Great Tribulation, but we're getting out first. So as it starts getting close to something great and God's fixing to do something wonderful, the intensity from the devil builds and it gets bad. It's hard when a betrayer sitting among you hurts you. So I'm going to ask you a question if you come from a Christian home. If your mom and dad flip out, 
backslide on God. Betray everything that they, you thought they believed. What are you going to do? I'm asking you right now to think about it and make up your mind right now what you're going to do. Lord saved you, didn't he? He's spoken to your heart, hasn't he? You know that book in your lap's real, don't you? What are you going to do? If all your friends walk away from Jesus Christ, start vaping and smoking and all the rest of what's going on, what are you going to do? You're going to let the devil steal everything the Lord's trying to do for you? You're going to let him have the rest of your life? You're going to throw it all away? I grew up in a great Christian home. I can remember from when I was a little boy. My daddy, man, I was his only son and we were tight. My dad was almost as tall as Brother Peacock and eyes just as blue. And they looked right through your soul. I remember him coming home from work and he, we were living in a little tiny house not far from Detroit. And uh, it was a three quarters of an acre lot. I remember him buying the new house and it was just a big deal because we had three quarters of an acre. It's just amazing. My dad told everybody it's three quarters of an acre. The house was about 900 square feet, but he just three quarters of an acre. He'd been on a postage stamps his whole life. And back in the back of that lot, there was a bunch of trees, and Dad would come in in his blues from work and sit down and eat dinner, and they'd, all right, boy, let's go. And we'd get up after dinner, and he'd pull the truck in the backyard because we'd work all the way till the sunset in the summer digging up stumps. He took a little shovel, a full-size shovel, a man shovel, and cut off the handle for me so we could work side by side digging up stumps. Those are precious memories for me. And I know I got in his way and drove him nuts, but he was, come on, man. You can, come on, boy. I'd have died before I quit. Tired as I could be. Great memories. I fell in love with Zorro. You guys know that movie? Anybody know that movie? Not in the modern movie, the old black and white one. You don't know what I'm talking about. Zorro was cooler than the Lone Ranger because the Lone Ranger had Tonto, but Zorro was, you know, all by himself. You know what my dad did? My dad worked at Schoolcraft Community College, so he got me lessons for fencing. Took beginners and then uh, at intermediate and advanced fencing. I loved it because I thought I was Zorro. God, God gave me a great Christian home. I, I'm, me and my dad were... Now, I ain't going to get into all the gory details, but let me tell you something. After 30 years of marriage, my dad pastored a church for 18 years. The devil got in there. I was a grown man and married. When the devil divided and conquered my family, I have never talked about this ever. I feel like I'm supposed to tonight, and I don't want to. And I don't want to talk about it after church either. I'm talking about it now because I have to. But I know what it feels like to watch a church close its doors that believes the King James Bible. I know what it feels like to be raised in a great Christian home with parents that love each other and have great memories. And to see it all get trashed. I've watched the devil. I've lived it. You understand what I'm saying? I've lived it. 
And we would check out at Meyer's, go to the Meyer grocery store. As I'm going through the line, they'd have racks of magazines back then. And some of the pictures of the girls on those magazines were inappropriately dressed, right? My dad would hit a little boy that was his son. He'd smack me in the side of the ear. And I'd look up at him and get red. And he'd say, let thine eyes look right on and thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet. We'd get in the car and he'd say, listen, if a bird flies over your head, it's not your fault. But if it makes a nest in your hair, it's because you weren't doing nothing about it, boy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They're precious memories. I appreciate him for that. I love him and I love my mother to this day and I would never want to hurt him. That's why I don't say anything. But I've watched the devil tear a family apart. I figured I'd run and hide. I was at, some of you fellows don't hold this against me, I was at Crown College of the Bible at the time. If that makes you mad, I went to Bob Jones before that, so there you have it. My parents were, my home was just absolutely a train wreck. The devil was in there just causing more drama than I even going to get into or even want to think about, really. So I said, I know what I'm going to do. Instead of going home for Thanksgiving, it was, uh, it would have been November of 2000. I said, I'm going to go south. I'm going to go to Alpharetta, Georgia or something like that, way down south. Because nobody knows me down there. I heard of a camp meeting. I'm going to go down there and I'm just going to hide out. That was my cave of a doom. Went down there and I'm bitter and I'm angry and I'm frustrated and I'm trying to make up my mind as a 24-year-old, 23-year-old man. I'm trying to make up my mind whether I'm even going to keep going with this. I had hit my limit. I'm sitting there. I said, nobody knows me here. I'm good. Hiding in the back. People are trying to be nice to me and I was rude to everybody. Just get off me, get off me, get off me. Bitter. And I'm sitting there and I'm waiting. And they're giving testimonies. And some guy pops up, hey, preacher, I want to say something. Puts his hand in the air. Yeah. Praise the Lord, a church up in Michigan just closed their doors. And brother, we got a blessing. And they sent us a bunch of money. We got $50,000. Somebody else pops up. Hey, they did the same thing for my church. What had happened is when my dad resigned the church, he turned it over to a young guy that was connected with that group, and I didn't even know the guy. I never met him. But the guy took the church for three months and then sold it to the Christadelphians who are still there right now, two miles from my church building. Here I am hiding out somewhere. I thought nobody would know me from here. I'd heard about it, rumored to some kids, and I go down, I was a camp meeting. I don't even never ran with that crowd, never went back. And I'm sitting there, and they're popping up all over the room praising God because they're all getting rich, and their churches are all benefiting off of my pain, off of my family's pain. What's your name, man? Mike. Mike what? See you later. Man, that kid's a jerk. Man, why is that kid so nasty? Why is that kid so hard? Why is that kid so mean? Let me tell you why some of the other kids around you, if you've got a good Christian home, can be so hard and so mean and so nasty. Because they're hurting. And then you make fun of them because you think you're so cool. You think you're so popular. You think you're so good looking. I've always been little. And I've always been the odd man out when I was a kid. I hate bullies. I never saw a bully I'm afraid of. I hate them. 
That stuff shouldn't happen somewhere like this. You know what the devil's trying to do? He's trying to make them feel divided when they walk in here. You know what the devil wants to do to you? He wants to divide you. You know what he wants to do to some of you married folks? I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. I don't care how good your marriage is. I don't care how much you love Jesus. I don't care how long you've been married. He wants to tear up a home. Because you got a treasure. He does it all kind of ways. And some of you young folks, I guarantee you something. I guarantee you this many in the room. You might be seeing some pressure on your family. This is the way the devil works. He'll divide and conquer. You ought not be contributing to that. You ought to be praying about that. Hey, what are you going to do if 20 years from now, somebody that you love that right now loves Jesus Christ, and you think you're making the right decision, but they change about face because the way the world's getting and how bad it's getting out there, and they wind up breaking your heart, you're going to quit on God because somebody else does? You understand how it works? He's trying to use the betrayer to break everybody's heart and to split everybody up and to get their focus off the Lord and onto what's going on and onto who broke their heart and what's happening. And I had to make a decision as a grown man. I remember being so angry. I don't even remember eating. They all went and ate and I, didn't, I wasn't hungry. I got so skinny I wasn't hungry. They're all in there having their big powwows and they're all chowing down and eating. Hey, why don't you come in here and eat, man? I'm good. If they wouldn't leave me alone enough, I'd get in my car and leave. I'll walk in after lights out and go get in the bunk that I was had there and then just sleep and get up and go. Pressure. Depression. Frustration. Leave me alone, man. Get off me. The devil's trying to split that stuff up. And I'm going, am I going to quit or not? And I came that close at 23 years old in Bible college to quitting on Jesus Christ and saying, forget it. You know what God did for me? About two months after one of my darkest moments in my life, some girl come walking into school a semester late. She went sashaying by me. That's what I call it. Because I hadn't been really finding anybody. I was 23 and I was feeling like I was going to be an old bachelor the rest of my life. There was plenty of girls, but there was nobody that I was feeling like was the one. I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm never going to find anybody. I'm at this big Bible college and there's still nobody. And the devil is saying, yeah, give up. It's all a joke anyways. Everything you've always known is, it's all going to go under anyways. Come sashaying by me the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my entire life. And I told everybody. Just so happened a girl sitting next to me says, I know her. I said, you do? She said, yeah, we used to go to Hiles together. Don't hold it against her. We used to go to Hiles together. I said, oh, you think you could get her here next chapel? She said, yep. Next chapel, I walk in, 3,000 seat sanctuary. I'm in the far opposite door and I look over and a girl's sitting in my seat. I walked up behind her and I said, you're in my seat. She said, find another one. <laughs> I am, man, that is the one for me. I said, 
okay. And I turned around. She said, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And scooted over. And it was, we just celebrated 20 years in June. God's given us four beautiful daughters that are literally my life. Second to Jesus Christ. I don't have to qualify everything, right? I'm glad I didn't quit. I'm glad I didn't let all the divisions that the devil had brought get me to quit. I drive right by where my mom and dad used to live every day on the way to church because we moved. I didn't I used to have to drive by there, but now I do. Before we moved, I had to drive right by my dad's church on the way to my church <laughs> every Sunday. And not a Sunday goes by. You don't drive by there and go, but for the grace of God, that could be me. My parents are good people. You don't understand. I would never hurt them. I hope they never hear this. But I think I need to say it. You know what? That, that pain made me real hard for a real long time. But you know, don't judge them for this. Over half of my church has been divorced. Not since they came to my church, okay? It's a funny thing, ain't it? How would I ever been able to minister to him? I see God's just, I'm not saying I want it to happen. I'm saying God can use that stuff for good. And you kind of get a different perspective of people and the pain they go through. I realize the importance of my wife and my daughters. Staying tight with my wife. Working through our problems because we have them like everybody does. I realize the importance of trying to pour my life into my family, and I don't know if my family will turn out for the Lord. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I do know I'm looking out for it because I know how the devil works. He's going to divide, but look at the last thing that we got to go. I got to shut up. Look at the answer. Look at the solution to everything. Look at verse 13. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready to pass over. Look down at verse number 28. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You know what I see in that? I see, first of all, in verse number 13, the reason that the disciples were successful in a dark time and being a part of something amazing is because they just did what he said to do. And that's all. too simple do what he tells you to do because he can see the future you can't he knows who you're going to be married to he knows the names of all of your children <laughs> he knows which one of you are going to wind up messing around and ordering a Percocet off some app that your parents don't know about and you're going to be dead Stone cold dead. You understand me? I've done lots of funerals of heroin addicts. I've done more funerals of heroin addicts. Young ones. Young. And what's circulating now is worse than the heroin. And you don't know what you're getting because they're making it on their own and selling it. And they're cutting the stuff up, putting all that fentanyl in it because it looks the same. And you can't tell the difference. And they're saving a ton of money and they're making a ton of money. But love of money is the root of all evil. He knows who in this room is going to be dead. 
and he knows who's going to wind up serving him, and he knows who's going to be out there in the millennium reigning with him. He says in verse number 20 and 29, ye have continued with me in my temptations. Guess what? God's looking for in this day and age, and I'm done. Guess what God's looking for? Some people that will obey him and stick with him. That's all. It's not rocket science. If you'll do what he tells you to do and you'll stick with him, he's going to get you through. He's going to take care of you. He's going to bless you. And you're going to have some temptations and you're going to have some hard days. But God will take care of you. When my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. In your darkest moment, God shows up in ways you'd never know him without him. If you obey him and stick with him. Brother Joe.